You're listening to the City Lights Church Podcast with Pastor Jesse Miller. Go with me to Acts chapter 19. Have you ever shown up to something completely unprepared? Like, you show up at a party and you didn't realize the party had a theme. You know, you're the only one wearing like normal clothes and everybody else is in like a suit, right? Or like a... You know, everybody's got a tie. You're the one dude in, like, khaki shorts and flip-flops. Like, you just feel like, ah, this is weird. Ever since I started being a pastor and I did my first marriage, I've had the same reoccurring dream probably six or seven times. That dream is that I show up on the wedding day of some couple with nothing ready. I don't, I don't even have the vows written. I have nothing. And so I'm up at this in front of a congregation of people I don't know doing a wedding ceremony just making it up. That is like my worst nightmare, like just for me. And so I'm completely unprepared. How many of you guys have ever taken like an SAT or something in school and you're like, we need number two pens and all you have is a blue ink like gel? Or you girls pull out those like bright neon pink pens, which were invented in the 90s and they're like straight from the devil because you can't read them. You guys, don't, no, you guys can laugh. It's okay. It's, it's all right. But like that is awful. The other day, Ashley had to write a note for the guys next door, and the only pen she could find was a pink gel pen. It's like, basically, like, you couldn't even read it. It was awful. But anyway, like, you show up to something, and you're completely unprepared. You have the wrong equipment. You have the wrong stuff. Or I've done this so many times. There was a project. Ashley's like, hey, I need you to fix this up in the, uh, up in the third floor. And so I'm like, all right, all my tools are in the basement, right? So I come up to the third floor, I get stuff, I'm like, I got the wrong screwdriver. Do I really want to walk down the whole way to the basement? Can I make this Phillips work for a flathead? Probably not. I'm like, Haley, do you have a butter knife? She's like, why would I have a butter knife, Dad? Like, I'm eight years old, I don't have butter knives in my room. Like, you have the wrong tools, you gotta, you gotta fix it. You gotta get the right tools for the job, make sense? And that's kind of what we experience a little bit here in Acts chapter 19. Go ahead and turn there with me if you would. And this is, this is the Acts, the, the Acts of the Apostles. So this is after Christ has already ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit has come, and the church is growing. The gospel is being preached, right? That's what's happening. We've been in the gospels a lot. Now we're in the response to the gospels. We're in the aftermath, if you will. It's the Acts of the early church. So here we are in chapter 19, the Apostle Paul Verse 1, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, unto what then were you baptized? And he said, they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. When hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came and on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There was about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some, some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia 
heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Okay, so I want to point out a few things here. So Paul comes through this new area. He's just been in like Corinth and Antioch, and he's now in Ephesus, all right? And he passed through the land, it says. So that kind of sound, it could make it sound like he's in the country, the way it's worded. Paul goes to Ephesus, which is not in the country. It's the opposite of the country. He's made his way through the country. So you guys know modern day Turkey? You guys know what that looks like? Picture it? You guys are like, I'm going to pretend I'm good with geography. Um, so Turkey is like this shaped, kind of like a, a this. Makes sense? All right, so here's the middle of the land. Ephesus is like on the coast, right? Ephesus is a big city. It's an important city. It's the major city of what would be modern-day Turkey. It's it called Asia at the time, right? So it's the modern-day major city. Paul's on his way through the country. He's like, peace out, country. I'm going to Ephesus. That's where he's at. Make sense? And when he gets there, he finds a group of men who believe in, in God. They believe in the Jewish God. And he says, hey, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we've never even heard of this Holy Spirit. What is this Holy Spirit you speak of? These men are believers. They're seeking after the right way. They're seeking after God. They've heard of John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist came and declared the kingdom that was coming, preparing the way for Jesus, right? And Jesus arrives, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's preparation for the kingdom. They've heard of John. They've been baptized in John's baptism, but not this new baptism through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. So they're kind of like these guys who are ready, but don't really have it yet. They've shown up to the event, but they got all the wrong stuff. Make sense? They don't have the Holy Spirit in them. And Paul immediately addresses this, yeah, you got part of it, but you haven't received Jesus. And you haven't received the Holy Spirit. So he lays hands on them, and they begin to prophesy and speak in tongues. The power of the Holy Spirit hits them, and God starts supernaturally moving through them. Guess how many men it was? About 12 men. I think that's pretty funny, right? How many men were in the disciples? Twelve men. It says about twelve. So, I mean, I'm guessing twelve. Maybe, maybe Luke, who writes Acts, is like, mm, might have been eleven, might have been thirteen. But anyway, it's around that number. I don't know. But there's, there's something that Luke wants us to see through, through Acts. And that's when Paul shows up at this new city, first thing he wants to address, do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit? You might have the religion aspect. You might have the preparation for the main event. But we can't move into the kingdom of God here and now unless the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of you. And they're like, we don't have a clue what you're talking about. We're not even ready for this. Does that make sense? There's something happening here. Ephesus is the most important city in this area known for a lot of things. It It was the capital of business, capital of politics, capital of religion capital of culture, this is a hot spot. And all of these areas aren't even close to being affected by the gospel. They don't even have it. They have a taste of it, but they don't have the Holy Spirit moving yet. Make sense? They need something more. And Paul comes in, and and Luke wants us to see that the first thing that has to be addressed in the church in the city is, is the Holy Spirit flowing in you? Is he empowering you? Because if not, you got the wrong stuff. You got yesterday's revelation, not today's. Right? You got old school religion, you don't have the new thing. You can't move in power unless you have the power, right? Um, this just kind of popped in my head. So you guys remember power wheels? I think they still make them, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, power wheels? Like the, the little cars for kids that are awesome and I never got one. Sad story. <laughs> no. 
But like, I remember going to my cousin's, uh, to Ashley's cousin's house, who had a bunch of nephews, right? And uh, Ashley and I were dating. Thank God we made it through this event. It was a, it was a tough event. So basically, here's what's happening. Ash is talking to her older cousin. I'm downstairs with the kids, and they have a power wheel. Problem is, the power wheel's battery doesn't work. But the little boy in the car wants to go. So guess who has to make that car go? Me. Because, you know, I'm the boyfriend. I gotta, do, I gotta, I gotta impress these kids. I gotta push him around. So I start pushing him around his little power wheel. Guess what he does? He steers it right into the back of his massive dog. What's the dog do? Turn around and bites me. Not him, me. The dog bites me. See, when I think of power, if you don't have power, catastrophe happens. He should have been steering that on, him, on his own with the right power, with the right source. Make sense? Not me trying to make something go. What we do is when we, don't, when we operate outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, we try to get things to work and it ends in disaster. Somebody gets bit, right? We try to make our religion. We try to make our social structure. We try to make our spiritual enlightenment, enlightenment happen. But the Holy Spirit's like, I'm not even a part of this. You haven't even recognized me yet. You don't even know who I am. Right? Make sense? The Holy Spirit, God, see, God's doing something in this city. He's building a foundation of spirit-filled men to change an environment and to influence a city. Church, if we, if we want to see the kingdom of God really be manifest, and we've been talking about this journey and how it's God who builds his church, but if we want to be an active conduit of that, if we want him to flow through us to see the kingdom of God transform Scranton, we have to become people who recognize our need for the Holy Spirit to overflow out of us. Make sense? We need him to empower us. Or it's just a lot of silly old school baptism of John stuff. Like, I think too many churches spend a lot of time in the baptism of repentance. We've learned how to repent, but we've not learned how to seek the presence of the Holy Spirit and let him flow out of us. Too many churches flow out of a place of repentance or tradition and not out of a place of presence. I saw, uh, there was one mm, up here. That was pretty good. That was pretty good, by the way. Too many churches don't flow out of a place of presence. It's all about presence now. If you're in the new covenant, it's about presence. Repentance is good, but there's more to it than repentance. There's more to it. God wants us to go beyond the baptism of repentance and move into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John's baptism was to prepare a way for something, and that is the life in the Spirit. See, there's a time when he asks us to go for more, to go deeper. When Paul sees these guys, he can recognize there's something not quite right. They, they, they want to know God, but they haven't received Jesus. They haven't received the baptism of the Spirit yet. Something's missing in them. Something's missing here. I love this. In Luke chapter 9, I said it this morning to, over Kevin and Keeley. If you want to be as disciples, you have to deny yourself, right? And take up your cross. See, okay, let me, let me, let me go back a second here. I want, to, I want to explain something. So just, walking in just John's baptism is like getting half the story, okay? I was in South Africa, my first trip to South Africa, and some of you guys have heard the story, but I, I walked in, we walked to a Zulu village, and we were supposed to go talk with this guy. So we go into the Zulu village. We go into his hut. 
And he's there talking, and there's all these weird pictures up on the wall. And he says he believes in Jesus, right? But who does he pray to? He prays to his ancestors. And so for about an hour or so, the translators begin to have this debate with him about how Jesus is God, his ancestors are not. There's a cultural understanding of spirituality that this man has in his life. And he's wrestling with what does Jesus have to do with this? And why is it just Jesus? Make sense? See, sometimes culturally, we think we understand what it means to be a Christian, but yet the Holy Spirit has no room in our lives to flow out of us. Make sense? We do the cultural thing and expect God to do something supernatural, but yet we're not denying ourselves and asking the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and overflow out of us. Give us words of knowledge. Give us, let us pray for healing. Let us, let us lead well. Let us, you know, the gift of administration is a gift of the Spirit. There's a lot of gifts of the Spirit, right? There's a lot of supernatural gifts that God wants us. And Paul tells us to eagerly desire this, the spiritual gifts. But so many of us, to eagerly desire them would mean we have to deny ourselves. Because if you're led by the Spirit, you're not led by the flesh. And the flesh does what you like. The Spirit does what he likes. Make sense? And so this man in the Zulu, this Zulu house, this Zulu upbringing, is like, this is the way it's always been done in my culture. And we add Jesus to it. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is not adding religion to your old religion. The gospel is changing everything that you believe about who you are and about culture and about the way he works to the way that he says he works. Denying yourself for him for the spirit to dwell in you. That makes sense? I hope, I hope you understand what I'm saying here. There has to be a complete breaking down of your way of doing things for the Holy Spirit to dwell in you and to pour out. Like there's, there has to be that. That has to happen. So this, so this is what begins to take place here in Luke chapter 9, or Acts chapter 19. And I love the next verse. And he entered the synagogue. So this is 12 men get the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we see Paul, Paul enters the synagogue for three months and speaks boldly reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. I want to point out something. So what did we, what did we just see happen? The power of God through supernatural things, right? Speaking in tongues and prophesying. What's the response to that? They go in to the religious places, to the, the Jewish cultural synagogues, sit down with the Jews, and what do they do? They speak with boldness, but reasoning with them. Does anybody see the the almost contradiction it feels like? They're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do supernatural things, but they come in and they begin to reason with them. See, God wants to use his church, not just in the supernatural, but with also supernatural reasoning and understanding and communication. They go in, not overnight, like, hey, we're going to go in and do this on the weekend because we've scheduled a date to go do this. They go in, and for three months, they begin to reason with the believers there about why God is who he says he is. Make sense? They're empowered by the Spirit to go in and persevere and to reason and to teach and to instruct. See, the Holy Spirit wants you to live a life that's supernatural, but he also wants to supernaturally empower your natural abilities to go in and to teach and to clarify, to bring understanding. I've said this before. It was the same trip, the same trip I was terrified to speak in front of a group of people. But I remembered Proverbs chapter 16, 
Verse 1, the answers of the tongue are from the Lord, or preparation is from the heart of the man, but the answers of the tongue are from the Lord. I realized that I could, I could come up with some nice thing that I wrote on myself, or I could simply ask the Holy Spirit to give me the words to say to them. I met another Zulu man on the next trip where I'm talking to him, and he only believes in ancestry worship. And I say, hey, can I pray with you? And he's like, why is Jesus better? And the Holy Spirit began to give me words to say to him to where he's like, I think you're right. Let me, uh, I need to pray about this. I can't tell you he's received the Lord. I, I hope he did. But there was something changed in his spirit as the Holy Spirit gave me words. I didn't do a sign or a wonder in front of him. The Holy Spirit uses both, right? We good on this? You guys okay? All right. See, so this is what happens. And then look at, look at the next part, though. So they speak and they declare, but when some became sub- stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil against the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. What happens when Paul and these disciples are met with opposition? What happens when their very dialogue begins to have people come against them and speak lies against them? And the way there is Christianity, in case you didn't pick up. It's a capital of the way in our translations. That's what they were calling it. Like, that's the way that they're talking about. And so people begin to use their religion, use their old mindsets to come against them and begin to speak lies against them and persecute them. What is the response? All right, we're going to go do this somewhere else. We're going to continue with the gospel. We went to the Jews first. Now we're going to go to the Greeks. And I love that after two years, after two years of doing this, it says, all of the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord both Jews and Greeks. I want to ask you this morning, what happens when you face rejection? What happens when you personally face disappointment? What happens when things don't go the way that you, that you and God worked out some deal? Remember that deal that you made with God and it doesn't happen the way you think God responded to your deal? What do you do then? How do we respond to dis- disappointment or opposition? Do we shut down? Do we go and hide somewhere? Do we wallow? Do we yell at God? You told me you'd do this, so I'm going to go and hide here. See, there was a moment here for this new church that was starting. There was a, a, a season here. They persevered for, for months in the synagogue, and then they're lied about. They're persecuted. And instead of just saying, all right, we're going we're gonna to go to another city, or we're just going to stop, and we're going to make this thing about us receiving the Lord, we're going to go to the next group. We're going to go to the next people. These people won't receive us, but we're gonna, somebody will. The Holy Spirit's put something inside of us that we have to share. We have to get out. They go out, and I love that after two years, all of Asia has heard the gospel preached, Jew and Greek. Everybody's heard this. This morning, I, I would venture to say that not all of Scranton, Pennsylvania has heard the gospel. In fact, I know that. Not all of this city has heard the gospel of the goodness of Jesus Christ and the grace that he has offered us. I mean, I I assume most people in the city have heard the name Jesus, but they don't know anything about him. They, They haven't heard of this new Holy Spirit either. They haven't heard of a life filled with the Holy Spirit. 
They've heard of a life of, hey, you need to repent, but they don't know this new Jesus. They don't know what he's come to offer them. They don't know the freedom that he brings. And here after two years only, a group that's small in size, but empowered by the Holy Spirit and uses persuasive words as well, has, able, has been able to speak the gospel so everybody knows about it at least. After two years, this is a large city. This is a massive city. Remember I said this is the number one place of business, politics, commerce, religion, all in that same area. Two years. I'm not going to read it, but the next two, two sections here of this chapter tell us some more of what happened in those two years. We see these seven sons of Sceva who are Jewish exorcists who travel around exercising demons for profit and under no biblical authority. They do it on their own, right? And what happens the seven sons of Sceva? They get beat up, right? But what happens when people find out about this? The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And then, oh, they, and they burned millions of dollars worth of pagan books. Pagan, witchcraft, other gods, they burn all the stuff for them, right? This happens. Their whole commerce system is starting to change. And everybody around it begins to see the true God and start to think there's something happening here. And then the next thing, we see a riot happen. Because their whole system is being shaken. The city's system has been disrupted by the way, by the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. That's what it said in the chapter we just, where we were just looking. They spoke boldly about what? About the kingdom of God. They came in and proclaimed the kingdom and then they demonstrated it through supernatural ways as well, as with reason, as with boldness. They came in with that and everything in the whole system started to shift and people got angry about it. Paul stuck it out for two years until the thing kind of calmed down and then he went on. Paul persevered under pressure. He continued to speak when the religious spirit, when the political systems, when the economical systems said, I don't like your gospel, it's changing everything. He persevered and pushed in and dug in deep. Does that make sense? Yeah. See, this city, they're, they're, this city is, is, has a religious spirit. I'm, I'm just being real. And some of you guys are like, whoa, Jesse, you're getting a little too trippy for me. This is real. This is real. We fight not flesh and blood. Principalities and spirits. It's, this is real stuff. This city has a religious spirit. This city has a political spirit. That's definitely true. I know that now that I've become a police chaplain and I wear my uniform for one day and everybody's like shaking my hand, like introducing themselves. I'm like, dude, what are you? The voting's the next day. That's what it was. <laughs> Voting. There's a political spirit. There's an economical spirit. There's a depression spirit, right? We're not as rich as we want to be. Back in my day, we used to have all this. But guess what? Has anybody ever visited the Lackawanna coal mine tour? Somebody's banging in coal mines right now. I just heard that. So the Lackawanna coal mine tour, I did that a few weeks ago. That'll teach you a lot about the spirit over this area and the background of this area. The rivalries and the brokenness and the fight just for a penny. It'll teach you a lot over the heritage of this area. Church, what I want you to see is that when we recognize our need for the Holy Spirit to overflow into us, to pour out of us, to give us giftings, and then to begin to walk boldly into areas of influence and speak and declare with reasoning and clarity the gospel of the kingdom, then our culture will start to shift. And when our culture begins to shift, 
what will happen to us? Opposition. Revival and opposition. The church will grow. People will glorify God. They will burn their pagan ways. They will get rid of all their idolatry and their witchcraft and their negative ways of thinking. And the religious and the political who refuse to listen to the gospel will come against the church. Your dreams, your aspirations for your nice white picket fence and and the perfect peaceful life will probably be crushed when you begin to persevere for the gospel of the kingdom. I'm not saying God doesn't bless us. I'm not saying if you follow Jesus, you'll live in a squatter's house. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying if you want the gospel of the kingdom, we have to learn to deny ourselves, pursue the indwelling of the spirit, and then walk boldly into areas of influence in the city. That's the only way this, this city is going to really see the kingdom of God manifest in your lifetime or mine. Does that make sense? I want to read one more verse to you this morning. As we as worship team, if you come forward. There is, there is clear intentionality with Paul and the disciples here. The gospel of the kingdom is not preached accidentally. I, people often use that thing, you know, preach the gospel and use words if necessary, or I forget exactly how it's worded. And I understand that, but it's wrong. <laughs> it's wrong because... If you don't use words, they'll only hear of a moral God or a kind God or a generous deeds God. That's not the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel is deny yourself, follow Christ, make him Lord of everything because he is Lord of everything. He's good. The gospel of the kingdom is, yeah, we serve, but we also proclaim. I I love to fight the idea that that getting saved, quote-unquote, because I believe in the term being saved. I do. I understand that. But getting saved is not about some sinner's prayer, okay? It's not about specific things that you say. But yet there is a verse that says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, right? That Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. And that's beautiful. Confession is a part of being saved, but confession is also a part of being his witnesses throughout the earth. The last thing he says, be my witnesses, the word actually is martyr. Same word that's used for witness is the word that we turn into martyr. It's we give of ourselves to declare who he is. We deny ourselves. We follow after him with all that we are. And that requires words. It requires the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, to see signs and wonders, to prophesy, to speak in tongues, to, to have words of wisdom. Ben just told me an awesome story of you at the grocery store yesterday where God was bringing somebody to mind, and there that person is. And then he accidentally parks beside his car, and then he just prays over him. Like, and he, you haven't seen that person in years, right? Four years. Then walks into Wegmans, hears God show him this person, then he sees the person in Wegmans, hasn't seen him in four years, and they park beside each other accidentally. Like that, that's what I'm talking about, Let, letting our, ourselves be led by the Spirit, saying, Holy Spirit, I need you. I want to impact you. These things aren't coincidence. These things aren't accidental. The gospel's not accidental. Like, yeah, God will use your situation for his glory, but he also wants you to seek first the kingdom, right? 
He wants you to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. We don't talk too much about tongues and, and prophecy in our church. I, we don't talk about that a lot. And I, I'm not a pastor who believes that you can't have the Holy Spirit without tongues, but I also do believe that we should desire tongues. It's a beautiful thing. If you don't know if I speak in tongues, let me tell you, I do. I speak in tongues. God uses me in prophecy sometimes. God uses me in discernment, words of wisdom. Why? Because I want it. If it's a gift from him, I want it. And he tells us to desire it. This morning, church, I'm not preaching this message so that we feel like we have some lesser form of the gospel. I'm preaching this message so that we recognize the foundational elements of a movement in a city. Foundational elements that God desires for his church is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit flowing out of us. Make sense? Romans chapter 8 says this. This verse came into my heart before we started this series. I think it's fitting that we end with it. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longings for the revealing of the sons of God. Every suffering that we go through for the gospel is just, it's small, it's minor, it's not even worth whining about. Because there's a future glory of of his kingdom. There's a future glimpse of what he's doing that makes these little things that oppress me and hurt me and discourage me and come against me. There's a future glimpse of that glory, of his transformation for not just souls, but for creation itself, for the ground, for the spirit over the city, for creation itself is longing for what? For the revealing of the sons of God. That's you and I. If we're in Christ, we are his sons and daughters. And creation itself, this city Every part of this city is crying out, waiting for us to reveal him in us. It's waiting for you and I to be on mission together for the kingdom of God. Does it make sense? It's groaning. It's longing for you to know who you are as his son, as his daughter. It's groaning. It's waiting for you to manifest God in you to the people around you. Some of you guys are like, this sounds so trippy to me. This is like a sci-fi movie. Guess what? God is a supernatural God who made material and put a spirit inside of us. Have you ever thought of how does a brain work? Like, how does a brain make you think and have a personality? Like, it doesn't make sense. It's the supernatural into the material world. And that's what we are in. We are in this thing where creation itself is longing for a spiritual Renewal and awakening outside of the sons of God. This city is longing for you to demonstrate the kingdom, to know who you are, to know what he's called you to. I want to challenge you, church, that when we are met with opposition, that when you walk through perseverance or through discouragement or depression or whatever comes against you, I would challenge you, don't go and hide but continue to find open doors. That's what Paul did here. He's like, okay, this door's shut for me. I'm going to this door. 
okay, this door's shut, I'm going to go to this door. We keep walking through and keep boldly declaring, keep seeing signs and wonders, keep asking the Spirit to renew us daily. We daily take up our cross and follow Him. We deny ourselves daily. This is a perseverance type of life that you are called to if you're in Christ. This is not an easy life. This is, this is like Martin said about the hike, separates the men from the boys. This is not a cupcake operation. If you've bought into a Christianity that's a cupcake operation, somebody sold you the wrong stuff. Nothing worse than, you ever sign up for a free trial? And it's like, you get like nothing and you're like, oh, if you want to see what we really do, you got to pay $14.95 a month for the rest of your life. The truth is, the gospel is like, hey, you want this free gift of grace, awesome, I'll give that to you for free, but I'm calling you to wait much more. You want the fullness of the kingdom of God experienced on the earth, then you, gotta, you actually got to die to yourself. you got to forget your own life and stop whining about silly things. Persevere for the gospel. Let yourself become a martyr. You will be my martyrs all across the earth, right here in your own city first. Right here in your own town first. That's what we're called to. Creation is longing for you to reveal who you truly are. We are part of his kingdom. His kingdom is here. It came in seed form. It's already amongst us. Jesus came and represented the kingdom for us. And now we get to live that to the city. Church, let's stand. My prayer is that you partner with me. In demonstrating the kingdom of God. I know today wasn't like a super funny Jesse Miller type of message. We don't need that, right? We need the kingdom. (laughs) We need the kingdom made manifest. um, I'll say one more thing before we sing a song. I can't go into details, but we, we moved to this city and we began to preach the gospel. And for the first time in my life, there were people lying about me, lying about Jared, lying about Ben, lying about what we teach here, lying about who we are, calling us all kinds of names. And there were some pretty big obstacles, especially three years in. We, we met a pretty big situation, and there, were a, there was a point where we were ready to close this the whole thing down. I've said this before, but that is not what Paul did, and that's not what the gospel of the kingdom does doesn't shut down and go to another city. It pushes in and digs deep and continues to declare who he is. I don't know your area of influence. I don't know the workplace environment that you're a part of, but I want to encourage you when you're persecuted for your faith in your workplace, you don't go and hide and you don't curse God. You say, okay, Holy Spirit, lead me to another door. Let me continue to speak and declare who you are. I'm not going to give up on the gospel. Church, let's not give up on the gospel. I've shown that picture before of what this church looked like in 1914. It was huge. Huge. (laughs) That was a joke. (laughs) It was huge. And it died. Why did it die? They stopped preaching the gospel. They stopped making disciples. Let's not do that. Let's see the kingdom every day of our lives. Let's deny ourselves every day of our lives. Let's worship for a few moments.